Welcome, Welcome to the Andy Griffin Show, the number one talk show in St. George, starring Andy Griffin. And welcome to the program, 10 minutes after 9 a.m. I am Andy Griffin. I'm so honored to have you listening today. Please stay tuned. I think you're going to love today's show. I, uh, uh, I attended something called Talk Show Boot Camp a couple of weeks ago. And uh, when uh, one of the workshops I was really impressed with, a guy by the name of Roy Fireson. You've probably heard of him. Uh, he's, an, he's a performer. He's an interviewer. He's a, he's a, I call him a guru, a guy I've admired for a long time. But Roy gave one of the workshops, and after it was over, I thought, just on a lark, well, I'll send Roy an email, see if he wants to do my show, because I know he's got a book or two out right now. And son of a gun, if he didn't answer me within like five minutes. And uh, to make a long story short, here's Roy. Hey, Roy, what's going on, man? You know, I have to say to all the folks that, you know, first of all, I try to do everybody's show if I can, because I've been in that place. You guys have been, and I'm very grateful to to even be in the place to do people's shows. And your show is a great show. But I have to add to this. My son just had his first baby with his wife, of course. He didn't give birth, but his wife did. (laughs) My son's name is Andy. The son's name is Griffin. Really? How, How weird is that? That is that is Andy really Griffin, cool. <laughs> Andy Griffin, that that's the combination. I couldn't couldn't do anything but do this show, and happily, by the way. <laughs> well, thank you, Roy, so much. I, I you know I grew up obviously. Uh, I wouldn't say I grew up, but in the when I was in my twenties, ESPN came into prominence, and uh, I spent a lot of time watching Roy Firestone interview seemingly everybody who was anybody in the sports world, and uh, I, I loved your style. In fact, uh, I went on to have a, a career. I'm fifty five now, so I'm no spring chicken, but I, I went on to have a career uh, interviewing uh, you know regional stars in sports, and I take a lot of my style what I do from you, Roy. It, you, you taught me a lot over wow. the years. What a lovely thing to say, and I appreciate that very much. You know, I, I, I was influenced by so many people. Uh, obviously, Larry King. I grew up with Larry King. I've known, I knew him since he was, I was 15 years old. He helped get me in the business, believe it or not. Uh, people like Bob Costas, who remains a close friend of mine. But, you know, we talked about interviewing, and whether or not you agree with his ideologies or his style, one of the best interviewers, I think, is Howard Stern. Again, yeah. I don't really like the mocking stuff, what he did early in his career. But, boy, you get an hour and a half with Howard Stern, and it's a good interview. And then there are people like Ted Koppel, who I loved. Oprah Winfrey is terrific. Mm -hmm. People compared me to Barbara Walters. I'd rather have been compared to Oprah Winfrey. Mm -hmm. But um, anybody who's good at what they do, the key thing for me, and I mentioned this, is preparing and listening. Those two qualities are very important in interviewing. One of the things that you and I have gotten to do, Roy, is we were sports fans first. Before we were any kind of media guys or anything like that, we loved sports. We loved being a part of sports. And we've been able to parlay that into uh, to varying success our careers. Uh, you, in particular, have been able to... I, I would imagine, Roy, anybody that you wanted to interview, eventually you got to interview them. Is that true? Well, pretty much. I mean, I had Tiger Woods when he was 14, for example, when he was really, really young, I had the, the Williams, Serena, uh, and Venus. I think they were 11. So I got them early. <laughs> the one person I think I've had to regret of, of never getting the interview, because I started my career much later after he had passed, I would have loved to have interviewed Jackie Robinson. I just think he would have been the most fascinating guy to talk to uh, with all the things he went through in his life. I, I just think he would have been a really cool guy to, to just chat with, because uh, I, I thought his whole life was a struggle. 
on every kind of level. And he died at like 52, I think, maybe younger, maybe 48. He just, and he died of a heart attack, diabetes. He had all kinds of problems with health. I did interview his wife, though, many, many times. And uh, Rachel Robinson was one of the most articulate guests I ever had. Incredible. Now, the book, by the way, is uh, uh, by Roy. is called That's What I'm Talking About. That's that's the grown-up book. Now, they have you right. also have a kid's book out. Maybe let's let's start off talking about the kid's book. I didn't, I've read 90% of your adult book, but I have not read your kid's book yet. Tell us a little bit about it. Well, I love the phrase grown-up book because adult book sounds like it's porn or something. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, we won't do that. <laughs> yeah. It's a it's a grown up book, but it's 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 got a lot of anecdotes and funny stories and touching stories and profiles. Uh, that book has been out of about a year or so. Mm-hmm. My children's book, I'll, I'll make this really brief. When Kobe Bryant was killed, it was so tragic. It still is to so many people. Millions all over the world really are so yeah. touched by it. I knew Kobe very well. He, I was the first person to interview him in Los Angeles when he's 18 years old. Uh, I tell this quick story. Lightning hit the building when we were getting ready to do the interview and blew out our lights and we had to shut down for two hours to get new lights. So Kobe Bryant walks in there. He's 18 years old. And, um, I said, can you come back? Cause it's going to take us two hours. He says, no, I'm not coming back. I said, Oh God, this guy's going to be a prima donna. Now he says, I'm staying, I'm staying. He stayed for two hours without a camera rolling, spoke to us in Italian, talked about food, talked about growing up in Italy, talked about Milan soccer, almost everything except basketball. He was fascinating to talk to as an 18 year old. And we had a friendship. And when he was tragically killed with that, by the way, eight other people, let's not forget that. Um, I was so, so devastated as so many of us were, especially in Los Angeles. Um, And then COVID hit and I'm just really down. And I had, I had had a dog uh, about eight years before when people know when you put down a dog, it's the most devastating thing to do short of putting down a human. Yeah. And, um, and maybe in some cases more so. And so I decided I was going to write a children's book and I did. And it's called Kobe and a boy named Roy. It's a little story for little kids. And my art, the artwork was done by my sister, who's an accomplished artist. It's been out about, I guess, eight, eight or nine weeks. It's blown up. People are thrilled with this book. We've raised a lot of money for West Coast Lab Rescue, Labrador Retriever Rescue in Los Angeles, over $3,000 so far and counting. I've been on national TV. I've been on Animal Planet this past weekend. And this book is its most biggest surprise and most pleasant surprise in my career. All the proceeds um, after we, our expenses go to, to, to rescuing dogs. And so if people do want to get the book, they should go to RoyFirestone.com. If you want it signed by me, if you don't care, you can go to Amazon. But the book has done very nicely. And my other book, that's what I'm talking about, um, I think has sold tens of thousands of copies at this point. And I'm just thrilled that this part of my career I can use in the printed words. So uh, on both fronts, I'm just thrilled to, to, to publish these books. I've had a total of four. I'm going to have another book next year. So all of a sudden, I'm an author. So. Uh, I'm thrilled to do all of these things. I really am. Nice parlay into a, another career. You're taking everybody's money, Roy. That's not fair. No, I'm just, I'm just kidding. That's right. That's right. That's right. Well, I hope it's a good cause. That's the main thing. And again, I, you know, people ask me, I got a question the other day on another show. Someone said, what is it the dog has given you? And I think if you love dogs, and I'm sure many of your audience listening does. Yeah. 
I think the great, the great gift that a dog gives, and there's been many books written about it, but I think dogs, if they're good dogs, and most dogs are good dogs, slow us down as human beings. Let us reflect on simple things, a meal, a, a ball, a play, a walk, a breath of fresh air, going outside. I think anything that slows down humanity and makes us reflect and enjoy life more fully it's a great thing, and that's why dogs are a great thing. I just think you couldn't invent a, a, a greater creature in life than a dog. And, and folks, if you and, and Labrador and Labrador and Labrador retrievers, yeah. by the way, at that, at, I love Labrador retrievers especially. That's why I have a lab, and I've always had labs. If you pick up Roy's book, obviously there's some uh, many, many great stories, and we'll talk about some of those. But there's also a few chapters that you slip in there about things like dogs, about uh, happiness, about the word class. And I want to talk about the word class here uh, in a minute mm-hmm. as well. Uh, right. So it's not just a book about, hey, look who I know and look who I interview. But it's a book, a, a lot of the philosophy of life you threw, you've uh, thrown in there, Roy. Well, uh, yeah, thank you for that. Um, one of the things that, you know, I'm a pretty reflective person, maybe sometimes too much so. Uh, I just really believe that we don't stop enough and, and reflect on the beauty of life uh, and, and, the, and not just the importance of what we do for a living, which is it is significant, the getting and the spending and how we earn a living and all that stuff. It's all important, I guess. But what's really important is to live life fully, but also in living life fully, to truly reflect on how lucky and blessed we are and how just to, to, to take a breath of fresh air and slow down. And uh, I think even as a kid and early in my career, I always try to find the beauty in things, particularly in my guests. Sometimes I got criticized for being, quote, a soft interviewer. Yeah. But I'd rather, I'd rather look at myself as a person who just tried to find something wonderful and just beautiful about a human being, even if they seem like wretched people or, or, or were, were kind of closed off. I had many a guest where I surprised myself and my audience by finding something that was lovely about somebody. And, and by the way, just about everybody I know or have ever interviewed had some quality to them that really made them truly uniquely wonderful. And, um, as corny as that may sound, I think we miss that in interviewing these. Everyone's after trying to get a get, and everyone's in there trying to get a uh, some sort of, you know, uh, edge to an interview. You know, have a take, don't yeah. suck, all that stuff. <laughs> There's a harshness to interviewing these days. Yeah. I, I love to think that I, I breathe some life into my interviews. I hope, I, I, you know, I say that with I hope some humility. And if I did, I succeeded. That's a, that's a great segue into that word class. I loved your chapter on the word uh, the word class. Uh, is classiness gone from modern sports, right? And I won't ask you to maybe make a stand on this, but it seems like class was in abundance. Uh, you 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 highlighted people with class, and, and people with class deserved it. And, and there it doesn't seem to be that much of it anymore. Am I wrong? I'll tell you what. I, I don't know if you have the book in front of you, but if you do. If you throw some of the names, I'll give you one line about what made them classy. But if you don't, it's okay. But let me just give you a few, and maybe you can rifle through the book if right there if you want to find it. But I, the piece was called A Touch of Class, and John Wooden had class. But the rolled-up program never belittled anybody, never tried to intimidate a kid. Uh, in his own gentle way, was a great you know, professor of sports, but also about life. I thought Arnold Palmer had enormous class. Jack Nichol 
Nicholas had tremendous class. Brooks Robinson was my childhood hero. I still know him to this day. I was bat boy for the Orioles when I was 15 years old in Miami where they trained. He had a great deal of class. Al Kaline had class. Roberto Clemente had class. Hank Aaron had class. Um, in football, Bart Starr was one of my favorite people. And I wasn't a Packer fan. I just thought he had a lot of class and integrity. Johnny Yu and Y.A. Tittle were people who I thought had class. Um, Billie Jean King had class, always had class, and a great stuff. Steffi Groff, the great tennis champion, had a great... I, I, I've never been one for these entertaining, I have to say entertaining, but boorish people on, uh, in the field of play. Uh, the Randy Mosses, listen, they're great players, they're Hall of Famers, they deserve their credit of being great. But they, they do classless things like pantomiming, pulling your pants down, or yeah. when Serena Williams goes off or McEnroe went off. I never liked that. I, I just thought that we got enough of that. We, we try to escape through sports, the stuff that's crass, not class, but crass in life. And these people gave, the people who gave us the greatest moments had a, a kind of character and integrity to their demeanor that made them, Truly, truly special, and I forget, I'm forgetting probably dozens of names, but those are just some other headlines. And I think class is not in abundance, and here's the last thing about class. Money does not automatically give you class. People said, if I had some money, I'd have class. Uh-uh. I know a lot of classes, classless people with a lot of money, but I think you could be poor, you could be in a ghetto, you could be in the inner city, you could be anywhere in the world and still have class without a dime in your pocket. It doesn't take money. It takes a demeanor and a style and an approach to life. Almost, almost a, a bottom line that you won't cross uh, to, to have class. Uh, one, one of the things that may, maybe people don't know about interviewers uh, like you and I, Roy, is there's a certain amount of stress and nervousness when you're interviewing, when you're getting ready to interview somebody because you want everything to go right. You don't, you know, you don't want things to go wrong. You don't want them to be unhappy with the interview. You don't want them to leave mad. None of that stuff. Uh, one of your stories in your book, you talk about Dean Smith, uh, the uh, great coach for the North Carolina Tar Heels, who had just won a championship, and things didn't exactly go the way you planned when you were getting ready to interview Dean Smith. I have to try to parse this down because it's a long story, but that's right, Andy. Uh, I uh, He promised me he'd do an interview, win or lose, after the championship. That was the game, by the way, Chris Weber called the timeout that yeah. wasn't in, at the Superdome in New Orleans. People may not remember that, but uh, it, was, it was just a heartbreak for Chris Weber. But the Carolina won the game. I come to the to press room, and he winks at me like, okay, I'll do the interview. Where's your camera? Well, because of the, the room, that, or lack of it, we were on the eighth floor of the Superdome. Unbeknownst to me, the elevators shut down after the game. So I, Dean Smith, said, okay, let's go do it. I said, well, Dean, don't worry. We're just a couple of steps upstairs. He goes, okay. And he said, he says, how many steps? I said, we're on the eighth floor. Now, oh, Dean man. Smith was not a young man even then. So I had to talk to him, walking up steps, eight floors of steps, and he's winded, and he's getting ready to kill me because of how many steps, because he promised to do this interview, and he's getting angrier and angrier and angrier every step we go, every floor we go. I'm trying to change his, change his conversation. Hey, how about that, uh, anything to try to get his mind <laughs> off the walk? Yeah. And he's so out of breath, he goes, Ro, I'm going to tell you right now, if we have one more story to go, the interview is over. I'm sorry. I can't breathe. 
So I am dying up there trying to finally we get to the top floor. He says, you got eight minutes to the mint to the second. He has a stopwatch. He says, I'm not being mean, Roy. I like you. He says, but I am so tired and I'm so worn down and I'm on the eighth floor of the Superdome. My team is gone. Everyone in the, the arena is gone. This is after they win the national title. We finally do the interview. It, he, he, he clocks it at exactly eight minutes. But now we got to walk down the steps. Oh, boy. And the Superdome is closed. They, the, all the, the, the custodial people shut down and locked the door from the outside and the inside. So there's no way for us to get out. And I got with Dean Smith. They win the national title, and it's just him. And, and he is angrier by the second. <laughs> Finally, we get a night watchman who doesn't know who Dean Smith was. He goes, I don't know who you guys are, but I'll let you out. But don't ever do it again. He's chastising the guy who just won the national title. <laughs> so that'll show you what stuff, stuff can happen to you. I'll tell you that. And, and and from what I hear, uh, you and Dean kind of every once in a while you see each other. You're like, yeah, that, uh, that yeah, you, you, you need a pass, buddy. <laughs> I would see I would see Dean years later at events. Yeah, I did a USLC lunch a luncheon or dinner one time. He goes, "How many floors today, Roy?" <laughs> no, 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 coach, it's okay. <laughs> I don't need anything from you. But uh, he had a good. He, you know, I I found out something interesting. He babysat. Ready for this? He babysat James Taylor, the really? singer, really? the great. He, he he was he was uh, it, it, uh, his father was James Taylor's father was the dean of English at North Carolina and they were close friends with Dean Smith and he babysat James Taylor and his whole family when they were little kids unbelievable yeah I've seen fire and I've seen rain on that one that's uh, that's awesome absolutely, uh, absolutely. one uh, your book is first of all incredible a great little story and and it's kind of parsed out so it, you know a story might take you five ten minutes to read but just just great stories you have so many of them and so i'm gonna have to pick and choose because we only have an hour roy uh but one of my I favorites am- uh, all time was nolan ryan i grew up in houston texas uh, and i was a, a uh, big ryan express fan i love that guy. i never got to meet him. i met a lot of famous people but i never never met uh, nolan ryan tell me about is he one of those that would cl- qualify as a guy with class he was. Uh, he, he, he was a real, real man's man, you know. Yeah. He's a cattle rancher to talk like that. Hey, Roy, how you do? I mean, <laughs> his voice dripped with West. I mean, he really was something out of the, eight, the, the 19th century or even maybe the late 18th century. He was just a real cowboy. Yeah. And he was a farmer and a rancher. And I was doing a fundraiser, and he was a ranch. I, now, I don't know the terminology about steer and cattle and what's beef and what's not, but they plumped down a plate of a huge brontosaurus-like piece of slab of beef. And Nolan's <laughs> looking at the beef, and he's looking at me. And I don't eat meat, by the way. I haven't eaten meat in some time. So I didn't want to be offensive to him. He goes, ain't you going to, hey, Roy, aren't you going to eat Louise or whatever? <laughs> Henrietta, <laughs> I think it was. Yeah, Henrietta. That's right. It was Henrietta. I said, "What?" <laughs> he goes, "Henrietta was with us for eight years." I said, "What?" He goes, "Yeah, we, you know, we we had slaughtered her Thursday." And I'm going, "You knew somebody that you're eating, <laughs> right?" And and uh... and I, I, I'm first of all, I don't eat meat, and then I got so I came up with an idea. I hadn't perform. I'm a performer on stage. I said, "You know what, Nolan? I can't wait to dig into this thing, but I don't eat before the show, right?" So yeah. he remembers this. I do the show. He's very happy. At the end of the show, he gives me this bag of bloody beef. Right? <laughs> he goes, you can take this home and freeze it. It'll stay good for about a six months. And I, I, I never met in my life a person who knew someone he was going to eat. 
But that was my experience. Nolan was, you know, he has the record that I think will never be broken. 5,000. I love the the second part of this number, 715. That's Hank Aaron's home run number. Strikeouts. That means you have to have 250 strikeouts for 20, 20, 25 years, whatever it is, 20 years. Incredible. No one one has 200 strikeouts now, and you'd have to do it for 20 straight years. One of the most dominant fireball pitchers I ever saw and uh, just an unforgettable real authentic guy talks like that it was yeah. just unbelievable character he's one of those guys you know the the old the, the old uh, question who would you if you could have a dinner with anybody living or dead who would you have dinner with I think uh, Roger Staubach and Nolan Ryan would be at the table with me yeah uh, for sure by the way Ro- by the way Roger Staubach definite class real class he, I'll, t- I'll just throw a real quickie in here Okay. He put Bob Hayes, and he he didn't like to talk about it. But he Bob Hayes had had serious financial and alcohol problems, uh, and even drug problems late in his life. You know that Roger Staubach put Bob Hayes in his house as a, a a person who lived in his house for like a year just to get him back on his feet. Never said a word about it, and I just thought that was one of the most gracious, wonderful thing and loving things to do for a teammate who was hard hit hard times. He's just, I, I, and you know what? You don't really see Roger weighing in on a lot of stuff. You know, nope. he's like, he keeps, he keeps to himself. He's extremely successful. Maybe the most popular Texan of all, I would say he could run for governor any day of the week and win. Uh, one of the best people, quality human being, Roger Staubach. Wow. What a man. Yeah. Definitely class guy and a guy, like I said, I grew up admiring uh, Staubach and Earl Campbell and, and, uh, and of course, mm-hmm. uh, Nolan Ryan and the Ryan Express. I've got to get a, a commercial break, a weather break in here. We're talking with Roy Firestone. We're going to talk, when we come back, we want to talk about Roy's other career. He's a performer, an entertainer. I don't know if you folks knew that. We'll talk about some of the stuff that he did, uh, including a, a night that he'll never forget with Lou Rawls, right? Oh, yeah. That's great. Great story. Thank you. <laughs> Welcome back to the program. I'm Andy Griffin. Thanks for tuning in today. It's 936. I've got the uh, legendary, can I call you that, legendary Roy Firestone on the line? Sure. Did I'll take it. I'm sure. I'll love that. That's great. Thank you. Make it all the way to, uh, to legendary. Hey, by the, way, by the way, before we go any further, was there a better sitcom in American television than the Andy Griffin show? I mean, certainly never better characters. Don Knotts won eight Emmy Awards in a row. No one will ever do that again. The funniest man, I think, in his era on television. But then you had Andy, who was a great deadpan. You had Howard Sprague, who talked like that. He sounded <laughs> like Ernie. Hey, well, you know, Andy, that, that character. And then you had Floyd the Barber. Yeah. Oh, 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 yes, Andy. I mean, he, I don't know who, uh, Sheldon Leonard was the executive producer of that show, but the development of characters on that show, and of course they discovered Jim Neighbors, too, who had his own show. That was the best ensemble show for its era, for sure, and probably one of the best sitcoms in American television history, Andy Griffith. Uh, I agree wholeheartedly. In fact, uh, years, uh, maybe 10 years ago, one of my kids came up to me and said, hey, Dad. I said, what? He said, uh, I think I know where you got your parenting style. He says, I just watched an old episode of Cosby. And he said, right after Cosby was the Andy Griffith show. He says, you Dad, right. you're, you're like half Cosby, half Andy Taylor. And I'm like, well, yeah, uh, kind of. <laughs> so, and by the way, I, you know, I just, Go ahead, Roy. I just thought that I, I felt I, I watched that show in reruns. Now I have they have something called Me TV. I don't know if you, you guys get it there, mm-hmm. but it, it's got old shows and it relaxes me and makes me smile. It 
that show just it's relaxingly funny if there's if that's possible. It's just an easy on the on the soul, easy on the head. It's it's never double entendre. It never you know crass. It's it, 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 it there's another word. It's classy and funny at the same yeah. time. Great characters. That's great. Now, I don't know if folks knew that knew this, Roy. Uh, of course, great interviewer, been involved in the sports world and, and interviewed just about anybody who who is anybody in the sports world. But uh, Roy also is a guy who had a kind of a second passion in life, and I'm going to let him tell you about it. Roy wanted to be on stage. Yeah, I've been performing really since I was about 11 years old. Uh, in fact, I was a stand-up comedian briefly. I was more of a wannabe. I wasn't a great stand-up, but I parlayed my love of sports and my experiences in sports into kind of a one-man show, which I've been really done, doing for corporations and meetings and all, even doing it virtually, by the way, for people who might be interested in contacting me. I do it all over the country, even virtually. I sing. I do impressions. I do a lot of famous people impressions and lots of storytelling and it's done very very well for me i'm very humbled to say that i I, i've been pretty much in demand of doing what i do uh, consistently for parts of 40 years and a lot of people don't know i do this and you people go to youtube they can hear me sing i have an album out with a a kind of a a jazz pop music uh, album that was recorded um and i i had the opportunity I'll, i'll make this very brief but uh back in the 90s I uh, had Gail Sayers on my show, and Gail had heard that I perform and do impressions. He goes, you know, do, do so-and-so, and I did a little Johnny Mathis. I did a little Smokey Robin. He's he, in the green room. He's cracking up. He says, you know, Roy, if you ever play in Vegas, I'm going to be there opening night. You know, people say that. Yeah. And, and by the way, also as a part of that story, many months later, Jerry Lewis, the great comedian, was on my show, the classic one of the funniest people in the history of television and movies yeah. was on my show, said something like that, too. He says, and if I can't be there opening night, I'm going to send you a telegram. Ha ha. Right. Well, about eight, ten months later, I get an opportunity to open at the Golden Nugget in Las Vegas for Lou Rawls. Lou Rawls, one of the great crooners of our time. Yeah. I go to Vegas. I'm scared to death. It's a never. I never was performing in Vegas for a paid audience. And opening night. I'm scared. I'm backstage. Lou Rawls is there. He's exciting for, excited for me. He, he had heard that I did some things. I'm in my dressing room. I get a knock on the door. Gail Sayers was wow. there. He flew in from Chicago. Are you kidding there. me? Wow. Then, yeah, so within a few seconds of that, I get another knock on my door, an envelope. In the old days, they used to have telegrams. They don't have telegrams anymore. Everything's a text now. But <laughs> I got a telegram, and it said, from Jerry Lewis. Isn't it great that you don't have to sweat with Lyle Alzado tonight? It was something like that. It was very <laughs> funny. He says, good luck, break a leg. Sorry, I can't be there. I'm in France. But I could not believe that both of those people came to my show. And Lou Rawls was the most gracious. I, 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 I did very well on opening. I got a standing ovation led by Gail Sayers in the audience. And then Lou Rawls came out and said, you know what? I want to hear some more Roy Firestone. Forget my show for a few minutes. Come on out, Roy. Do Uh, 10 more minutes. Wow. And he's sitting there. Watch. It was just unbelievable experience. And, you know, I was telling a friend this the other night. You know, Andy, this is true. There are better interviews than me. Many, many better interviews than me. There are better broadcasters, way better than me. There are better performers than me. There are better singers than me. But no one, I think, in my world, has had as many different experiences in performing in Las Vegas and getting to know and interview, you know, Ted Williams and Richard Nixon, Madonna, and 
also open uh, RFK Stadium uh, for 75,000 singing the national anthem. That's on YouTube. I have had such an unbelievably diverse, experienced life that I, I can honestly say I don't know anybody's had this, this kind of experiences in their, in their careers. And I'm, I'm very humbled by it, and that's why I write all these books about it. I'm, I'm actually kind of blown away. You sang the national anthem in front of 75,000 people at RFK Stadium? Wow. Not just that. Back in those days, Jessica Simpson, who was a singer, people forget she sang. Yeah, she sang God. She sang uh, uh, "Oh Beautiful" or something. And then they and I had rehearsed it at you know ten o'clock in the morning to get the sound because it's very hard to sing in a stadium. It bounces all over the place, and there's like fourteen people, and you know people are sweeping up before the game. And when I came out, it was time for me. There's seventy five thousand people, <laughs> and my son was there. And I start, you know, I'm scared to death because I could. Now your brain starts to play tricks. Is it gleaming first, then streaming? Or is it streaming first, then gleaming? And ladies and gentlemen, gentlemen, right, 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 fire stop. And I was terrified, but I sang it. People want to see if people want to see it. It's Roy Firestone, God Bless America, a national anthem. It's on YouTube. If they want to see it, you could you can tell me or what you what you think, but. It was one of the most exciting things that ever happened in my life. And the most important thing was my kid, my son, who just had a baby, was there. I think he was 12 years old. He says, you didn't blow it, Dad. Good job. (laughs) Isn't that great? The kids can bring us down to where we belong, huh? (laughs) Yeah, didn't blow it. That's awesome. You didn't blow it, It's a tough song to sing, man. You know, Robert Klein, the comedian, once said it was a song written for a goose. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know it's, yeah. it's not an easy thing. Now you've interviewed uh, presidents, you've former presidents. You've interviewed just about uh, every every walk of life. I'm curious, you know, right? I I I don't really get starstruck. I've interviewed a lot of people, and it's like you know they're just another person. They you know the old the old yeah. cliche. They put their pants on one leg at a time. Has there been anyone or or more than one that? You were kind of freaked out about. You were like, "Oh man, this is this is this is big time." I think Paul McCartney, who I, I'm a big Beatle person, yeah. and to meet Paul McCartney and he saw Jerry Maguire, and uh, it was a complete shock. He walked up to me in Liverpool, England. It was two o'clock in the morning at a reception. <laughs> turned around, and it's Paul McCartney. I was really, I was just dumbfounded. I couldn't believe, it. and he's staring at me. He goes, I think I know you. I said, you know me? I said, you don't know me. I know you. He goes, no, I know you. Where do I know you from? And the woman who was with him, his assistant, said, he means the movie. I said, oh, you mean Jerry Maguire? He goes, that's it. You're the guy who makes him cry. What's your <laughs> name? I said, my name is Roy. He goes, don't make me cry, Roy. <laughs> now, Paul McCartney's saying that to me. By the way, that's the title of my third book, uh, Don't Make Me Cry, Roy. It's which is also available. But... I could not believe, I was, I was like shaking. I'm just like a little schoolgirl in 1964 meeting him. The other one was Richard Nixon. As you mentioned, I interviewed President Nixon. Uh, we, I, I differed politically, but it was so much fun to talk baseball with him. And he, he was charming and fun and wanted to do the interview. And he says to me at one point, he goes, you know, I used to say when you were a local sportscaster uh, in Miami, Florida, when I used to live at Cavers Cane, and you were on with a gal named Ann Bishop. I said, I know Ann Bishop. She's the anchor. Yeah, I know Ann from D.C. And we're sitting there talking like two guys uh, at a party. 
and it was it was and baseball was a great language for us too. So he, he was just so much fun, and he says to me, you know, uh, we should have let's have a drink. Come on, we'll have it. I had to leave because my crew and I drove in together within the same uh, vehicle, and I had to turn him down for a drink at a. Can you imagine having a drink? And I realized as I was walking away that Richard Nixon didn't have a ton of friends. And he just wanted to talk baseball like anybody else and just want to have to, you know, debate who is better, Hank Aaron or Willie Mays or Babe Ruth. And, he, and baseball gave him a language where he could just be one of the guys. And he was never one of the guys as a kid. He was the last guy picked at a pickup game. And uh, it was an amazing experience. That's also in the book, too. And it's funny stories within that, within that interview, too. Incredible. The book, again, uh, by, by Roy is, uh, well, first of all, it's a fascinating book with lots of cool stories, and we're going to get to some more of it here in just a minute. It's, the book is That's What I'm Talking About. Uh, Roy, I got a quick co- commercial break in, and we'll finish up with a couple of cool stories. And I want to hear a couple, of, a couple more of your great impressions. It's 947 on KDXU. Our program again today brought to you in part by Joe Shoney. He's a local loan consultant serving Southern Utah for more than two and a half decades. His specialty? customer service, taking care of you, making sure that you are happy. Online, doesn't lie, the reviews are in. Over 515 reviews. His average is 4.96 out of 5 stars. Phenomenal numbers for Joe Shoney. Call him today at 435-590-6300. We'll be back in 60 seconds. Welcome back again to the program, the Andy Griffin Show. Roy Firestone is with me today. I called him legendary. I hope that's okay. That, That also means you're old, I guess, Roy. Oh, yeah. yeah. And I am, <laughs> by the way. But wow. I, I, I love my life, and I, I guess people can tell that and just talking about stuff. And, I, you know, the, the thing is you got to remember humility. I'll, I'll tell you a very, very quick story. It's in the book. In 1969 in July, a ball player named Nate Colbert was playing for the San Diego Padres, and he leads off the game with a home run. And, he's, by the way, he's playing in Atlanta. He's on the road. Next up, a bat, he gets another home run. Then he gets a double, and then he gets another single. They're playing a doubleheader, so they introduce him. Number nine, Nate, 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 Colbert, Colbert. The place goes crazy. The audience, the crowd, they're cheering loudly, screaming for sustained maybe five minutes. It wouldn't stop. And he's so moved by this, he, he can't hit. He's, he's going to cry. So you, I think you know where this is going. Yeah. The man who's on deck was Cito Gaston. He used to manage the Blue Jays. He goes, Nate get up there and hit. What are you doing? He says, I can't hit. I can't even catch my breath. Listen to the crowd. They're cheering me. They're saying I'm fabulous. They're saying this is the greatest day of of my career. And this is a road game. They're cheering me because they love me. They're saying, Nate, no one could have a better day than you. How do I hit with something like that? He says, will you relax and look at the scoreboard? He looks up at the scoreboard and says, congratulations, Neil Armstrong. We've just landed the man on the moon. (laughs) Now, that tells you everything you need to know about humility. That's why it's always important to remember that some people have a better day than you, and some people will never have as good a day as you. you just got to keep both feet on the ground and remember that, and remember humility. That's, that's an important quality of life. Yeah, great call there. Hey, you, you do impressions, and uh, I love your impression. You do a fantastic job. In fact, we're going to get really a classic one here right at the end of the show, but uh, have you ever done an impression for the person you're impersonating? And, and that seems like to me oh, that yeah. would be the hardest thing in the world. You know, that's such a cool thing you brought that up, Andy, because I had Johnny Mathis on the show. 
And I'll just give you a few. I, there's no music here, and I have no microphones, but I'll just try to give you a little bit. Look at me. I'm as helpless as a kitten up the tree. You know, I'm doing that, right? Yeah, yeah. So he, I'm doing the show with him. And he, by the way, he was an athlete. He was a long jumper, and he was an Olympic hopeful. He, he could have made the Olympics in 1952, but signed a deal with uh, Columbia Records instead, which turned out pretty good for him. Yeah. And he says, you know, I understand that you do an impression of me. This is on the air. And I actually had the cassette from my show in Vegas. I had just done that Vegas show, by the way. And they played it. And we come back and he goes, yeah, but what about your impression? I said, what do you mean? He goes, that's me singing, you know, Misty. Oh, he thought it was him. Johnny, that's me doing. He goes, no. I said, (laughs) I swear to you. He really, truly thought it was him. And that's the greatest compliment I ever got from a celebrity doing an impression. Uh, I, I remember Keith Jackson didn't like that I did. Hello, got a brother. This is Keith Jackson. And, oh, golly, we've got a rare barn burner. Yes, and David Pumbo. He thought he, I was mocking him because I did it on David Letterman. Yeah. And for years, he, he didn't want to meet me. He thought I was putting him down. And then it got, I, I finally ran into him. And I said, Keith, I admire you. So that, that's, a, that's a kind of a fun salute to the greatness of you because no one's done broadcasting longer and better than you have, which is true. One of the greatest broadcasters ever in terms of just diversity of broadcasts. Do you know that when Keith died uh, at the Rose Bowl, they had a memorial ceremony. Um, his wife, Turian, called me up and said, would you do Keith Jackson impression for the, uh, for the, for the ceremony? Oh I went, what? He said, he got such a kick out of it at the end of his life. Would you do it for us? No pressure and there. <laughs> I, have never, I have never before had that kind of an honor. And I love Keith Jackson. I love doing the impressions. I do about 30 impressions on stage, and some are musical and some are spoken word. But um, there's, it's just, there's, no, there's no experience I could ever compare it to. I just had such an amazing life with people and doing voices. And I never put people down in, in, in an impression. I'm always trying to, to just have fun with them, you know? Now we uh, we had a, a really interesting relationship with boxing when in in my youth. I mean, everybody watched Friday Night Fights. It was it was part of who we, you know the heavyweight champion of the world might might as well have been a, a demigod for us because because I mean that that was what America was about. Uh, things, sure, mm-hmm. things, things are a little different now, but you were right there on the cusp of all that. What was it like interviewing those guys and being around those guys like you know Muhammad Ali and Joe Lewis and and, and even Mike Tyson? But you know, when Mike Tyson talks like a, like a cartoon character, you know what I'm saying? He sounds like Alma Fudd or something like that. I don't know what to say. I feel you're so powerful, extraordinary. I, I feel powerful, empowered by you. I, I went to Mike Tyson's fight. I, I know we only have a couple seconds left, but yeah. Mike Tyson's fight, he knocked out Michael Spinks in 90 seconds in Atlantic City, and I'm running to the press room. And as I'm running, I hear a commotion behind me. I turn around, Mike Tyson there with six of his handlers also running to the press room. He looks at me and goes, oh, my God, it's Roy Firestone. Roy, come over here for a second. He had just knocked out Spinks, right? <laughs> he barely, not even breathing heavily. He goes, I just saw the show with your father. I had no idea he knew so much about boxing. Give him my very best wishes. So oh, wow. I called my father on a pay. I called my father on a payphone. I said, Dad, Mike Tyson. He goes, Mike Tyson's a bum. That sob. He should be in jail. I said, Wait a minute, Dad. He just told me that he saw the show you were on with me and thought you were terrific and wanted you to have his best wishes. My father goes, <laughs> Well, uh, uh, 
Uh, I will say this. He's one of the great champions we've ever had. At our, <laughs> at Sudley. Sudley, oh, he's, yeah. he's Mike Tyson's biggest fan. But I, I do want to close with one thing. I know we're running out of time. Yeah. Uh, in 1975, my very first interview was my first interview ever was with Muhammad Ali. Wow. We go to a nursing home in South Beach, Florida, with these people that are in their 90s and above. He goes into a room. And he starts with, I'm so fast, I'm so great, can nobody whoop me, what's my name? No response. He says it to an old man, hey, old man, I'm pretty, I'm great, I just knocked out Joe Frazier, what is my name? No response. So now he's starting to walk away. Now this old man is 97 years, 98 years old, and, and he didn't hear well, didn't see well, and Ali starts to walk away, figuring the guy just didn't know what was going on. As he's walking away, I see the old man turn his wheelchair towards Ali, and he barely spoke, but he spoke with a whisper. I know who you are. What? What'd you say? I said, I know who you are. You know who I am. Tell everybody in this room what is my name. And the old man, the old man looked up and he said, Joe Lewis. <laughs> now, everybody went crazy because this old man then went on to say, you know, everybody in my life is dead that I knew. But all I ever wanted to do was meet the champ, the greatest of all time. And he called him Joe Lewis. Now, Muhammad Ali, then everyone started to correct him. Hey, old man, that ain't no Joe Lewis. You know what that is? And Ali stopped to stop him. And he said this. He says, you see that old man over there struggling with life? He needs to have dignity. He said his dream came true because he wanted to meet the champ. And the greatest champ in his mind was Joe Lewis. Well, guess what? I'm going to let him keep his dream. His dream came true. And you know why? He said, and then he said it. Because tonight, my name is Joe Lewis. Oh. I thought that was a beautiful thing to do. And then I thought about this great quote from George Washington Carver, who was an inventor and a philanthropist, and he said it this way, how far you all go in life depends upon your ability to be tender with the young, compassionate with the aged, and tolerant of the weak and the strong and those who strive, because someday in your life you'll have been all of those things yourself. Mm -hmm. And Muhammad Ali was telling us something that we need to hear today more than ever. You need to be a champion by uplifting other people. And he uplifted that old man for a few seconds, and I never forgot that. And it's in the book, too, but I think it's the most important thing we need to do as Americans and members of the human race. Remember to uplift one another, to inspire one another, to make people feel good about life. And Ali did that. That's why I believe, and I will always believe, he is the greatest of all time. Oh, great, great story, Ray. Great experience uh, talking with you, uh, Roy. Uh, again, the book is called That's What I'm Talking About. That's the grown-up book. And then there's a kid's book. Again, tell us one more time a little bit more about the kid's book. We've got about a minute. It's uh, Kobe and a Boy Named Roy. It's, it was in memory of Kobe Bryant, but it's a story about a little boy and a dog, and the dog gets lost, and they have to find him with all these animals in the animal kingdom, and it's illustrated with my sister, Sue Sherman. It's done very well, all proceeds after our, our costs go to West Coast Labrador Retriever Rescue in Los Angeles. And if you want me to sign either book, go to RoyFirestone.com. I'll be happy to sign and personalize it. I'll even contact you and say if there's any specific inscription you'd like. Um, and they're both done very, very well. And I'm honored to be on your show. And, and, you know, thank you for having me on, Andy. Oh, it's been my pleasure. I was going to say, can you autograph my digital copy? But I'm not sure how that would work. So, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's one of the problems with digital um, 
digital book reading, I guess. You can't really sign them, you know. Thank you, Roy, for for coming on today. By the way, the book isn't just about sports, guys. It's about, I mean, the, an interesting relationship between two guys you might never expect, Alice Cooper and Glenn Campbell. He talks about that. Oh, yeah. He talks about his experience with in the, in the movie Jerry Maguire. Uh, Harry Chapin is someone he talks about a little bit. Uh, Don Rickles, a lot of great stories in there. I wish we had more time. Another hour, we keep talking, Roy, but I got to go. Thank you so much for coming on today. Thank you, Andy. I appreciate it very much. Do it again. He's Roy Firestone. I'm Andy Griffin. Thanks for joining me on the program today. It's been a real pleasure. Tomorrow, Dr. David Blodgett, the director of the health department, will join us as we talk about inoculations and vaccinations and all those things. Uh, And then on Mayor Thursday, Mayor Kenny Nielsen will join us from Washington City. Thanks for listening.